Okay, so in this opening meditation, the invitation is to contemplate death. So I invite you first of all to just feel what happens in your experience as I invite a contemplation of death. Is there contraction? Is there ease? Is there desire? And just bring into your awareness, how do you feel about your own death? Your own inevitable death. And is death for you an enemy or an ally or just a mystery? just feel how willing are you to offer up parts of yourself to death beyond just your physical level so how willing are you to offer up any of your mental ideas or perspectives or philosophies or ideologies to death How attached are you to them? And then feel into the emotional level. How willing are you to offer up emotionally driven patterns of behavior to death? Or even relationships that you participate in that are based in fear or control or codependency? Just do a little scan of your emotional life and just feel, is there anything there that actually is not truly and deeply serving your soul that you could offer up to death? How does that feel?
and then feel into your physical body and the offering up of your physical body eventually to its inevitable death. The death of its energies, death of its organs, the death of its cells, the end of the oxygenating flow of life through your body. How does that feel? And then just lastly, feel in, what about the death of your own separate identity? How does that feel? If there were a force of life and death that moved through the core of your being and actually stripped away your sense of your own personal individual identity, How does that feel? And then just to close, what would it take for you to see death as an ally, as a friend, more deeply than you currently do? What would you need to let go of? Okay, it's a deep breath. Hmm. You can let that go. Stretch out your body as you wish. Find its most comfortable posture to be in the flow of our process as it will unfold now. Okay, folks, so the transmission today, you know, I, you've heard me witter on and on and on about how these transmissions are focused on three streams, which are all expressions of one thing. We have the first ray stream of leadership and first ray energy, will, power. We have the secondary stream, love, wisdom, focused on the process of group initiation, all of these being the mass 
big changes that we can expect to, that DK says we can expect to see over the next 10 years or so? So a transformation in the first line in terms of global leadership and the second line, the mass initiation of humanity in groups and our uh, revelation of the soul as a normal part of human experience and a whole update of our consciousness. And in the third group, the revelation of the divinity of matter, discoveries in matter, um, a deeper connection and uh, a healing of our relationship with the environment and the earth, all of these being three expressions of one thing, which is the transmission from cosmic levels that's happening into the earth at this time of the energy of, of freedom, the energy that's actually at the core of the entire earth process and that's coming through Shambhala. So that today we're back on the first ray line so that's DK has offered a piece around leadership and death, hence our meditation. So the reason that these are combined is because they're both about first ray energy and first ray energy is the focus of this transmission. And um, this is relevant because we're about, we're drawing close to a Shambhala impact. So 2025 is a confluence of coming together of a bunch of exciting, interesting, adventurous cosmic stuff and cycles, such as a, a Shambhala impact. So basically the understanding being that there's gonna be a release of the dark light energy of spirit that's at the core of the entire earth process from Shambhala into the rest of the earth's evolutionary process in 2025. There's also gonna be the coming in of the fourth ray, hierarchy hangs out every hundred years at 2025 and invokes the next download of energies that's going to wash through us over the next hundred year cycle and so on bunch of stuff it's going down which is understood to have a major impact on our evolutionary process um, and the current crisis being the beginning of huge shifts that will involve the coming out of the planetary soul over the next 10 years so First ray energy is not light, love and light, fluffy energy. You know, like we um, are accustomed within our contemporary spiritual scene to aspire and seek to grow like plants towards the sun, towards greater light and to greater love. And that is the flowering of our souls. And at the same time, there's other energies in the game. And first ray energy is the energy of life and death. And it is life and death because it is, it is actually the energy of life in its most ecstatic and free form. And that ecstatic, total free nature of the life force produces purification, vivification, and the shattering and death to the forms that it passes through. As a whole piece in these teachings around get ready, right? And learn to work with this stuff uh, constructively. Prepare yourself because Shambhala energy is primarily first ray energy, although it's, it's second ray and third ray too, in a way, but it's the major first ray center on the planet. And as, and that energy speeds up 
evolution. It speeds up your evolution. It speeds up my evolution. It sped up our collective evolution. DK, as you heard me talk about last time, has gone through this whole thing of like, look, all this stuff that happened last century, the Second World War, the formation of the UN, the the civil rights movement, the the um, women's liberation movement, the, the um, anti-war movement, the discoveries of um, the, the penetration into the atom and the discovery of the quantum world, like all of these massive revolutions that um, have changed the world are just the beginning and are the result of energies starting to come into play, which are speeding up our evolutionary process massively and will continue to come. Um, but as you may have felt a little bit of in our meditation then, death is really probably still the ultimate taboo in our society. It is something that we are so incredibly avoidant of. And um, there's, a, there's a line from the teacher Adi Da, which is just one of them. It's so stark and it's so strong, but he's writing about death and he just says, you know, you only to contemplate no one has survived. Like no one, no one ever has survived. <laughs> it's a very powerful thing to contemplate, right? It's true. Think about it. Fuck, he's, he's right. Actually, yeah, no one. Like, and there've been a lot of us, you know? So, So I want to break this down into two pieces and there's the leadership piece that DK goes into and then there's the death piece. So we'll start with the leadership piece. And basically what DK says is that we don't, we have not really yet fully tasted first ray leadership. We know more sixth ray leadership so far. So the sixth ray is the ray of devotion and idealism. And there's this point and another point in the teachings where he says the people who really get into leadership stuff Generally, like first ray beings will empower sixth ray beings, devotion and idealism. They're devoted to a higher ideal and they want to bring that to everyone. Or seventh ray beings, they're just in it for the organizational updating of the structures the way they want to have it, right? But he says, like, we don't really know first ray leadership in its deepest form yet because the first ray involves the mysteries of power. And the mysteries of power are the mysteries of life and death because the first ray channels life in its purest form, which can produce the shattering and the death of forms that it passes through. So he starts the transmission off with this story of, he's contrasting, he says, there's a story of the Master Moria. The Master Moria is the, the first ray master in this tradition about him having been, um, had a carpet made for him and a very elaborate, beautiful carpet and the carpet's brought to him and he inspects the carpet and he sees one thread that's out of place and he sends the carpet back. And DK contrasts this with the tradition within, I believe it's in um, China, of when they make beautiful elaborate carpets, they will always deliberately have one error in the design. And the reason they will always deliberately have one error in the design is to represent that nothing is perfect, right? That there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. So he goes, DK goes into a thing around purity here. 
and the piece around purity is um, the relationship between purity and those who hold power in leadership. And so, as you may have heard me say before, like my perspective and the perspective of these teachings is that um, what's going on in the world currently is going to level the playing field as far as leadership is concerned. And this actually relates to death as well. So when there's something like coronavirus, which is sweeping through the world and activating the fear of death in human beings the world over, all those human beings, whether in, it doesn't matter whether they're in leadership positions or not, like all human beings who are still governed by fear of death are going to be, they're going to struggle, basically. And those who are in leadership positions are going to be shown to be unfit for task because they're not going to be able to provide a, a forward vision or show the way if they themselves are governed by fear of death in a situation which is triggering fear of death among humanity as a whole. It is possible to not be governed by fear of death. And to not be governed by fear of death, we must have our anchor in something that does not die. So part of the what the externalization of the planetary soul process is, in other terms, is the linking up of the etheric levels of the cosmic physical plane that we're all doing our thing on, which is where hierarchy and Shambhala dwell in the deathless state of being anchored in soul and spirit, and the physical levels, the, the physical levels, the planet, the body of the planetary soul, which is where human culture lives. And it's the linking up of these so that they are bridged rather than they're split. And for if you are a free soul, if you know who you are as a soul enough that you've anchored enough of your presence or your consciousness or your sense of identity in who you are as a soul, you will have anchored yourself in something that does not die. So in the ancient Greek mythology, there was the story of the river Styx, which is the river of forgetfulness. And the understanding that every soul as it comes into incarnation crosses the river Styx, crosses the river of forgetfulness. Point being, we forget who we are. As we come into incarnation, we forget who we are. Probably everyone on this call forgot who they were truly as a soul when they came into incarnation. They probably did not fully remember that they're an eternal being of divine light and a child of the most high and ultimately tender and permanent and eternal and one with everything. That's how it works, right? So, and yet there are some who, some of us remember some of it. Some of us remember a bit more. Right? But it's about, there's, there's a gap for pretty much everyone between the realm of the soul and who we know we truly are there, let alone the realm of spirit even deeper, but the realm of the soul and our incarnated realm. To not be governed by fear of death requires us to bridge that gap within ourselves. And DK has a whole piece around that's what's happening collectively as well. The linking up of these etheric levels of the cosmic physical plane and the embodied levels and as that happens humanity's fear of death will disappear because we actually increasingly recognize who we are as souls and the reality of the soul and death will become an ally and a friend rather than something that's feared so as this global crisis unfolds and um there are 
our leaders are exposed for actually, you know, being driven most of the time by selfish interests that are about their own um, aggrandizement and um, and personality-based stuff. There will be a transformation of leadership on the planet, is what these teachings suggest, with beings who are um, who are grounded in authentic purity, taking positions of leadership and outer authority, not just in politics, but across multiple domains of society. DK says, we will learn to elect our saints. We will learn to elect those human beings who are demonstrating something truly noble and who can genuinely be way showers because they're not just speaking about deeper principles, they're embodying them at the same time. And as such, they are living an example of the future that is to come. Um, DK talks about first ray energy as energy that will vivify, destroy, and reorganize the fields in which it comes into. And he has a really interesting piece about projection and weakness, I thought. Like, so he uses the word, he actually uses the word weakness. And weakness is like, you know, it's kind of like a trigger word, I think, for a bunch of us today, right? Because like, in the past, vulnerability would have been seen as weakness. And actually, we've grown enough as a collective culture to increasingly not see vulnerability as weakness. To welcome vulnerability as a deeper revelation of what's true and what's real between us. And DK is very clear to say, when he talks about weakness, he does not mean vulnerability. When he talks about weakness, he means unintegrated and unaligned parts of me that I deny or that I project outwards or unintegrated and, and out of alignment parts of you that you deny or that you project outwards. And he says the danger associated with projection when we're talking about first ray energy is that um, we project outwards our own unintegrated parts or the parts in me that are out of alignment and I project them outwards. I project them on Riser, or I project them on Kayla. And then I invoke first ray energy to destroy or purify them in Riser or in Kayla. But it's actually just a, it's an outpicturing of my own stuff, which is why he says the training of those who work with the first ray must always be to use the energy on themselves first. So this actually takes us back to the transmission that the original transmission that he gave about group one, um, which is the world, the group who will work with this energy um, in terms of the transformation of power and planetary leadership. And he says, you know, the training for these beings is they will go on to wield the dark light. They will wield power. They will wield the energy of life and death and to train in the purity necessary to do that. They must direct it to themselves first. They must be honest enough, vulnerable enough, humble enough to not worry for a while about what needs to change in the outer world or in other people, but to really deeply look at themselves and to be willing to wield the energy of life and death on their own unintegrated parts, their own um, parts that are out of alignment. Because that's, that's part of the first ray of work, way of working. We're not, we're not talking about 20 years of soft and lovely psychotherapy here. Like we're not talking about cuddle puddles that'll make everything feel a little bit more manageable. 
like uh, the, the first way, the first ray way of working is the invocation of lightning to bring death to that which is right to bring death to and to bring life to that which is right to bring life to. And we don't really decide which is which. We just invoke the energy and trust that that which is right to die will die and that which is right to live will live. Which is why, as you've heard me say a bunch of times before, when you work in this way, really so much of the path is about managing fear because that inevitably brings up a huge amount of fear. What am I going to have to let go of that I don't want to let go of? So this is a path and it's an energy and it's, and it's in a certain way, it's for some folks and not for others. Some folks are going to be like, fuck yeah, that's my way to roll. Yes, please. Let's go. Right. And a bunch of other folks are going to be like, no, thanks. You know, I actually, that's not, it's not really my thing. I get you, I, you know, cool, John. I hear you're talking about some people who that's their typology. Okay. But actually that's not my, not quite my way. So there is a kind of different strokes for different folks type situation with this. Right. And as I'll get into in a minute, um, you know, DK says in this transmission, death is coming. Death is coming. And, you know, we've already, it's already here in terms of the coronavirus situation. He's talking about the next 10 years, but in terms of the coronavirus situation, it's already here. You know, we've already had over 200,000 people die. Um, death is coming. So there's a, there needs to be an update of the way we all relate to death on mental, emotional, and physical levels, which this transmission points to. Um, so just the last thing I want to say about the leadership piece before I put you in some small groups to just have a little chat about this is he says, um, he makes a distinction between poor leaders and good leaders. And he says, poor leaders are those who accept weakness in themselves as inevitable and demand higher standards of those that they lead. And leaders of real depth, he says, refuse to accept those areas of weakness in themselves and at the same time, they accept weakness in others whilst also inspiring them. So I want to just remind you there that when he's talking about weakness, he's talking about the parts in me and the parts in you that are out of alignment, that are not actually in truth. You know, if there's something in me that I'm denying and I'm telling you it's something else, or I'm, I'm actually just not even telling myself the truth about that part of me. Or if I'm actually telling you that there's a real fucking problem with the way you're showing up around this again and again and again but actually I'm really just pointing out something that isn't resolved in me. That's not authentic vulnerability. Like that's, that's what he's talking about as weakness. So yeah, he, you know, I can just, I can just round that bit up by saying that what he's pointing to is that there will be the emergence of beings who pledge themselves totally to purity who pledge themselves totally to the purity necessary to really be able to wield power. And that this is a major part of the first ray path. And, um, and that they will train in that purity by wielding power on themselves first. And they will go through the vulnerability and the, the inevitable vulnerabilities, the inevitable fear, the inevitable loss, the inevitable surrender, which is part of that process, which then will be part of the process that other people go through as they're wielding that energy for the collective. 
and that that really is the true destiny of, of those who will move into positions of global leadership, which is they will wield the energy of life and death for the collective that will speed up certain aspects of the evolutionary process and that will bring release and end to certain aspects of the evolutionary process. And in terms of the schools, the, the mystery schools which are prophesized to come, this will really be the work of those who passed through the Greek and the Egyptian schools, which are deemed to be the, the preparatory and the, and the advanced first race schools that, will, that are to come. So um, I want to put you guys in small groups now, just to have a little chat. And the inquiry that I want to invite you into is, Um, what is your relationship to power? Oh, wait, give me a minute to really formulate this. Um, yeah, what is your relationship to power? And is there anything in you that feels like you would need to shift or change or heal for you to feel for you to feel comfortable to really be a channel for power what's your relationship to power and is there anything that feels like it would need to change or shift and heal in you for you to really be a channel for power yeah and i i just want to um I just want to say, you know, in, in having done the work that I've done around power over the last years, like power is another taboo. Just like death is a taboo, power is a taboo. And, you know, power brings up a lot of charge for people. Like some people just think power is bad and we don't want anything to fucking do with power. Some people suggest that some people in the world have power and they're probably 10 of them, white old guys sitting in a room somewhere controlling everything and the rest of us have no power, right? <laughs> Some of us um, want to get revolutionary and take power back right fucking now. Let's go. Yeah. Some people just make power bad. Like power is bad. Yeah. We shouldn't even go there. Um, and some people don't even want to talk about it. Some people just get charged about even the topic. It's just like, it's, why would we go there? Power is not where, you know, the really good conversations are at. So there's a lot of charge around power. Right. And that's, um, makes sense. We've got a lot of examples of power being wielded in ways which are self-interested, personality-based, exploitative, dominating, where people are fucking over other human beings, yeah, or the planet or the earth. We've got abundant examples of that. And because of that, a lot of people don't have any differentiation between that and power itself. You know, there's a, is it, was it Machiavellian quote or something, which is like absolute, like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, what's that saying? It's saying there can be no real power in a situation without there also being corruption. Do you believe that? Is that true? Yeah. So the inquiry is, what's your relationship to power? And is there anything that feels like it needs to shift or change and heal in you in order for you to really be a channel for power? 
So I'm going to put you in the rooms and don't worry, I've got you all. You will not be lost in cyber, cyber purgatory. We'll bring you back um, and you'll get little instructions in your triads. You're going to go into threes and you're going to share two minutes each. Okay, so we just wait for the other folks to return. Obviously still deep in it. Okay, so let's let's have a little harvest. How was that? What came up for you in that inquiry? Who here is ready to be a channel for absolute power? or not. Hey. Hey, Katja. Uh, what came up for me is that power is closely related to responsibility and mm. initiation. Mm. And that's, that can't be not done. And I see it and it has to be done. Mm. That, that's the power for me. Nice, thank you. And in our group, there was some talk about uh, feeling ready for more power, mm. you know? Uh, and there was a kind of a psychological barrier no? or protection somehow uh, that you say, yes, I'm still not ready for so much, you know, kind of regulating. Mm. And, uh, Probably in some point uh, there will be like an expansion and well, full acceptance. But you know there there is that time in which you are you you believe you can manage it and you can somehow you know, put a limit, no? So so as to uh, protect yourself, perhaps. Mm. Mm. More an open thought than a, like a statement. Mm, thank you. Just show of hands, um, who here has ever had an experience that there's been more power moving through their system than they could handle? Yeah, yeah so that's a, that's a piece with this. Anyone else? Actually, towards that, what you just said, John, with more power than you can handle or your system can handle. That was just what I was thinking before you said it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, I'm experiencing something like that, like the last two days and today. And it's amazing how, how the body is it's just so hyper intelligent, but it's really 
needing to tune in to that high voltage and it's very fascinating for me to experience that again and again like on a different level to connect deeper to figuring out oh what's that kind of pain and what, what that wants to show and um, to re transfigurate or how you call it transfigure transfigure that thanks for that yeah you made me unmute my mic anyone else i know um i'm definitely hiding behind it it's like it's like yeah yeah we, we know we can do this we're just playing the game of hide and seek and stuff yeah um but the barrier or the way or the the thing for me is always about the anchorage so the base my feet the ground all of that has to be really strong and and stable and anchored in order for this to to be a channel so yeah mm. thank you i've been feeling kind of this uh what you said about this sense of like too much power in the system on and off the last few weeks and like it, it feels like i've felt called forth by this crisis sensing that it's the beginning of something mm. and and it as we were sharing in the small group it, this image came to me that it feels like power that's coming in is the bridge from where i am to the vision that i can sense but feels distant still mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah thank you um Uh, so I'm uh, <clears throat> often amazed how when power moves through me, it may kind of charge up a field around and so that the evolution of people goes faster, but at the same time, it may take my like deepest weakness and amplify it so much that I'm actually like on my knees all the time. And I, 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 I I don't sleep, I eat like shit, I can start doing all kinds of crazy thing, things. Yeah. While at the same time, it speeds up whatever is going on with people around me. And I am at my worst, personally, mm. at my totally worst. Mm. Uh, and so like, <laughs> then there is a process of healing this weakness that's yeah. blown out of proportion and kind of even can bring me to the brink of survival mm. like, time after time. Yeah. And it's a valuable sharing. Thank you. Yeah, it's said in these teachings that, like, you know, when when power comes, it will empower. So it empowers whatever's there. You know, and and that can be our, you know, our personality stuff, or our wounds, or our challenges, or it can be our soul. You know, and it's said that actually, hierarchy has spent the last two centuries preparing human consciousness and raising human consciousness because they knew power was coming 
basically they knew I mean, imagine that imagine being in that position of being like one of one of the great tribe of awakened souls on the planet who's basically completed the path as a human being and is now operating from behind the scenes deeper than karmic necessity but as a servant of the cosmic evolutionary process here and you know because you're plugged into the vast time cycles that we're a part of power's coming you know that actually just because the heavens move the way they do when we ramp, when we ramp around to the year 2000 and then 2012 and basically this whole period between 2000 and 2050 or so where it's understood that astrologically there's an intersection between the plane of our solar system and the plane of the galaxy which basically links us up with the energy of the galactic center which is which is the cosmic shambhala it's like the cosmic source of power they knew that's coming so like, you know, it's like knowing the kind of astrological, super spiritual weather forecast that's unfolding over centuries. You know, it's like, right, we've got some prep work to do if this isn't going to go bad. Yeah. Because actually what's, what could get really deeply empowered here is human materialism and human ego and human, human exploitation and domination of the earth and each other. That's what could happen. Yeah? So game on. Yeah, as far as like the raising of human consciousness over the last two centuries to hopefully get to a point where we can choose under the impress of that power to live from soul and love, which is what we understand is happening now. Riza. Um, ever since true power in December, the words purification and integration have rang, rang, ringed in my head. Hmm. And what all that you said about the teachings and about the power before the the small groups resonated very deeply and resonates still very deeply within me and i feel that i need to integrate my personality deeper so that i can actually hold that power and i'm at the and hold that power in order to be a leader for others and at the same time, right now, I am using that power to clean myself. Mm. And it is burning and it is fiery and it is painful. And I'm actually really much enjoying it at the same time mm. because it is what I have been waiting for so mm. long. Mm. Yeah, thank you. DK says in the very first transmission that he gives, he describes the work of these three groups and in relation to the work of those who work with first ray energy, he says it will be a most strenuous work. Something along those lines. He says it will be strenuous, hard work. And he says that the spirit of sacrifice in those beings will need to be very strong because their willingness to offer up themselves and their own process as a sacrifice to the deeper process needs to be there for them to even be willing or interested to play that game. So I'm going to move on and I just want to name like in terms of the transformation of leadership what this points to like I really like the fact that the word leader in the scientific definition of the word leader or the word leader in meteorology refers to a stream of plasma in a thunderstorm that channels lightning that's what a leader is it's a stream of plasma in a thunderstorm that channels lightning yeah so we can actually update our relationship to leadership and understand leadership in the age that's dawning as the ability to channel lightning 
right? And lightning is a symbol of this energy. It's a symbol of the energy of power. So those who will be moving into positions of leadership will not be gaining their power or holding their power from a position of formal authority, i.e., I have power because I've been put in the boss role in this room. No, they will hold power because they're connected up to the true source of power, and that will be felt by those who are around them. And at the same time, when we understand power in this way, we can democratize power. Power becomes something that anyone can access based on the, the quality of their own alignment. It's not something that's just with that guy or with that woman because they hold a, a specific position. So that's part of the update of the way that we understand power. And, um, and just, to, just to double tap on that, you know, DK says that actually the failure of the UN which you know has really been has been a major update for the way humanity is aspiring towards global leadership that can that is genuinely global and can hold power for the collective and yet it's still really failed and he says that the reason that it's failed one is because nation states have not been willing to surrender their will to the greater will they've kept they've kept clinging on to their sovereignty um and also he says that the other reason is because the the UN hasn't been linked up with the higher kingdoms. Like the UN hasn't been actually consciously linked up with hierarchy and with Shambhala. And when you have the emergence of leaders who are who are channels for lightning, that lightning, the source of that is Shambhala. Shambhala is like the reservoir of lightning that is at the base of our entire evolutionary process. You know, when I'm linked up with my monadic core, which is the source of the lightning in my being, I'm linked up with Shambhala. Same for you. So to, for have, to have leaders who are genuinely living that energy is to have leaders who are connected up in this way. Um, and I just want to say as well, you know, he says this interesting thing where he says, those beings who are choosing to invoke power, there will be more chaos and there will be more destruction and there will be more birthing in their lives. There will be more chaos, there will be more destruction and there will be more birthing in their lives because this energy isn't about things staying still in a comfortable, nice way, right? It's about the, the eradication, the eradication of that which is good to go and the empowerment and vivification and the new life to that which is good to, to give more life to. And that, you know, if we're really growing, if you're really growing and I'm really growing, then that process is continuing, 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 continuing. And maybe it's happening quite fast, you know? So this isn't, you know, just to, just to make it super plain and, you know, kind of very obvious, the visions that we've had of ultimate peace being the symbol of enlightenment of those people who are sitting on Buddha flowers and everything's just good and easy. That's not what this is talking about. Like there's, there's a source of deep peace, which they're able to access in the core of their being. And, the, you know, it's said that the deep root of the first ray is pure being. And whilst those on the sixth ray, sixth ray leaders attempt to either hide or project outwards the imperfections and the weaknesses in their own being, those along the first ray, they don't hide them, but they also don't demand their perfection because they're plugged into the perfection of pure being already. Like they're already plugged into, they're asserting the perfection of pure being, which is the radical non-dual darkness of the core of your being, the core of my being, which is vibrating already through everything. And that's where they source their power from. And when that's in the presence of consciousness and form, it electrifies it. 
is what this energy does. And it also, this is where we can move into the death piece, it brings death. And so we move, this is where it's like, okay, you know, John's been taking us on a little dance around, you know, the kind of first ray work. And that's nice to hear about, you know, for those first ray beings and some of those first ray beings like, oh God, yes, yes, yes. Right. But like, now we're talking about like the situation for everyone. Okay. So there's no avoiding what I'm about to chat about unless all of this teaching is bullshit. Right. And so, but personally, I don't think it is. We'll roll the dice on that one. Right? So, um, he's making the point that death is coming for the collective. And this is a part of every Shambhala impact because every Shambhala impact is a release of the energy of life and death into humanity and the rest of the planetary life. And that happened um, in um, 1925. Uh, it's understood to have also happened in 1945, year 2000 as well. The next one is 2025. And he says that the release of the Shambhala impact into humanity in, two, in 1925, you know, you, I mentioned a bunch of stuff that it's it was responsible for. He says, you know, the rise of the UN, uh, massive shifts in humanity's consciousness, you know, like uh, the civil rights movement, anti-war movement, like um, women get the vote, the, you know, penetration into the mysteries of matter. But he also says it was responsible for the mass death that happened in the Second World War. He says the Second World War itself was a, was a, a flowering of karmic stuff that was yet to be processed by humanity. And the mass death that happened in the Second World War was the result of the Shambhala impact. Um, as anyone who has worked with this energy will know, I've learned this with myself. Like I, I've had to confront my previously idealistic and naive perspectives that if I really invoke this energy into my system, then oh yeah, what's going to happen is I'm just going to have more of that energy and I'm just going to live from that. Whereas actually it's not really what happens first of all. What happens first of all is if that energy really comes and if you're serious, it will come, it will then bring to the surface the blocks in your system, first of all, to it being able to really express freely. And those blocks may actually be very difficult to face. Then you may go through a deep process of suffering and challenge for a while as you work through the karmic stuff you need to work with in order to really then be free to have a deeper level of voltage move through you. So that's what we can expect first. And he suggested the Second World War is a good example of that, that there were like major blocks that needed to be faced um, for, for things to be able to go forward um, more freely. So, but he also suggests that the reason that there was such death that happened in the way it did with the Second World War is because the energy came from Shambhala directly into humanity without passing through hierarchy first. So remember, like we have like these three major planetary centers, which are also, these are like understood to be the crown chakra of the planet, the heart chakra of the planet, and the throat chakra of the planet. So humanity is understood to embody the throat chakra of the being of the earth, the planetary logos of the earth. Hierarchy is understood to embody the heart chakra of the planetary logos, the being of the earth. Shambhala is understood to embody the crown chakra, right? And there are other chakras, other kingdoms of nature and so on form the other chakras of the being. But um, So he says that the, the passage of the energy from Shambhala straight into humanity without passing through hierarchy first, and what that means is without passing through the center of planetary love and consciousness first, because hierarchy is where beings who are truly anchored in love and consciousness reside. 
right? So without passing through the sphere of planetary love and consciousness first resulted in death that actually seemed pretty fucking brutal, yeah? And he says that death is coming again, but this time it will pass through hierarchy. And what that means is that the death that's coming will, will be connected to love and consciousness. So I don't really know what this means, to be honest, guys, right? Like one option is that he's talking about coronavirus and he's pointing to the fact that there's already been 200,000, over 200,000 people who've died. And he's saying that's going to continue as, and that's, that's not an unreasonable projection. You know, that seems pretty obvious. We all seem to be aware there's going to be a lot more people who die. Another option is that there will be other things that come. That there will be other events that come. And he says, this is kind of telling, he says, um, because the energy of life and death will come through hierarchy, the planetary heart chakra, so the kingdom of souls first, and that means that it will come through love and consciousness, it will mostly come through natural causes. Right? So he says, when death comes to human beings at the hands of other human beings, it actually breeds more resentment and more fear and more distrust. And that's not the point of the death that will come. He says it will mostly come from natural causes in a way that will actually bring more unity to humanity. Right? He also says that there will be a wave of people who will foresee their own death. He says that actually because it will, you know, you and I as souls form part of the kingdom of souls, which is hierarchy. So as death moves through, the energy of life and death moves through the, that sphere of life on the planet, it will move through. If, if, I, am, if I am to be offered up on, 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 on the plate of death, then that, there will be a trickle of awareness through my soul and into my awareness. Oh, it's my time. So he says that there will be a ripple, a wave of awareness that will move through human beings that the that death is coming and that they are to die. And in a way which really touches me, I found this super poignant and like, oh, 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 oh. all right. He says, the main obstacle to the externalization of the planetary soul is humanity's fear of death. And, um, the death that's coming because it will um, because it will come through people's awareness and people will have intuitive awareness from a deeper part of themselves that death is coming and that as death comes and takes many people, people will have an intuitive sense of awareness to connection to the soul realm which doesn't die. He says that the death that's coming will actually be a major contributor to the revelation of the soul in human culture as a whole. So this is a big piece, right? That he says is coming, you know, last week you heard me chat about like the 10 or so fucking crazy, massive things that he says are going to happen over the next 10 years. One of them is the revelation of the soul as a normal part of human experience. And in this transmission, he's saying that that will come through death. Because as death comes and we have an intuitive internal level of awareness that knows it's coming and is connected up within ourselves to something deeper 
that knows it also doesn't die. There will, and that isn't just folks like you and me in little esoteric Zoom chat rooms who are, you know, signed up for the, you know, the the esoteric worldview already. But it's through the it's through the masses of humanity. It's through Dave down the road and Sarah who lives around the corner. And suddenly they're like, actually, I felt really hooked up to a deeper part of wisdom in myself and knew I don't that that knows I'm not I don't truly die and that this body will be let go of and that I'm going to be connected back up to you know a realm of of other beings of light and everything's okay and it's okay that I die and you know shit like that like okay yeah that kind of transformational process so yeah and he he also says so just another piece i want to mention he he has a whole section about eating animals like he has a whole section about um how um the the this process will change the way human beings relate to the consumption of animals and killing animals he makes the point that the way we treat and kill animals on the planet right now is one of the most profound atrocities in the history of human culture. It's like of a level of fucking terrible that is like unimaginable. And that fucking terribleness is not in itself because we eat animals. He says it's because we don't recognize the soul within animals and we don't do the process with love. So he says that actually a, a preliminary step that happens for human beings to try and transform, who are shocked and you know, can't handle and are not good with the reality of the way we treat animals is that they then um, move into a perspective that killing or harming animals is bad. And he has, you know, I'm aware this is going to be super controversial stuff because a lot of people have very intense perspectives about this topic. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just, a, I'm just the middle guy here, right? So um he suggests that that perspective of moving into no killing no no harming of animals is like a preliminary step it's a first step it's based on a deeper level of love and connection with the animal kingdom but he says that it's actually also a projection of our own desires and perspectives around death onto animals and he says that what it doesn't get is that actually our whole planet is a, is a network and a community of sacrifice. And it's a network and community of loving sacrifice at its deeper levels between kingdoms. And he says that it's actually true that it's the, the soul of the animal kingdom through a deep level of devotion and sacrifice has, is willingly offering itself to the nourishment of humanity. And it's not the eating of animal flesh, which is a problem. It's, it's the massive break in love which is the which is the problem, and he says that um, as this energy of life and death moves through, and there's the revelation of the soul, there will also be a deeper understanding that moves through humanity of the soul as it's present in animals, and that will transform the way we relate to animals. It will transform the way we relate to the consumption of animals, and he says that actually as a result of that, when that relationship exists in love, um, there will be a wave of safety and healing that moves through the animal bodies of human beings, which is beyond anything that we've dreamt of as yet, because we will get right with our relationship with animal, animal flesh and the animal, the animal flesh of my body, as well as the animal flesh and in the animals and in the animal kingdom. And then he talks about the higher octave of that, 
is um, that as human beings die, they will be consumed as souls into the ashrams. So I remember I had a conversation with Bruce once. It was one, one of the times when I first hung out with him and we ended up at some point, we talked about a bunch of shit, but there was one thing that we talked about, which was somehow it came onto like vegetarianism and eating animals and stuff. And he said to me, I'm fine to offer myself up to be consumed by a higher kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's, that's, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And basically that higher kingdom is um is the kingdom of souls and he talks about like the higher octave of the death of animals and the consumption of animal flesh by human bodies is is um human souls being consumed into the ashrams on the subtle planes okay so i now want to just move us towards close with an inquiry that he ends this with and i'm going to put you in some small groups again so he finishes off by just saying to recap, death is coming. And that death will move through human beings in different ways. We're not just talking about the death of physical bodies. It will move through the mental plane, the emotional plane, and the physical plane. As it moves through the physical plane, yes, we, you know, just the reality, it seems to be obvious from this teaching, is like it would be good for us to prepare that. Our own, our own death may come or the death of those around us. This may be the reality in the body, the death on a bodily level. And there's the emotional level. And the emotional level is the death of behavioral and relationship patterns which are not supporting the evolution of our souls. Right? the death of emotional and behavioral patterns that are not support and relationship patterns that are not supporting the evolution of our souls. And on the mental level, the death is great philosophies and perspectives and thought forms about what's true and real and what should be and who I am and who you are and what's right in human relationships and dot, dot, dot. And he says actually really the deepest death that this can bring is the death of our sense of a separate identity. So these are the ways that he says death will come. And so I'd like to invite just another small group reflection. You're gonna, I'm gonna put you back in the same small groups. And the, the question this time is, um, if you check in with these levels, your mental level, which is your thoughts, your perspectives, your ideas, your emotional level, which is your emotional patterns and your relationship patterns, and your physical level, which is your body, and um, all the stuff that goes on in your body and your body itself. What are you willing to make available to death in service of the evolution that wants to happen. And, and I just want to, something I didn't mention is he says, he's so, he's so strong on this, where he says, human fear of death comes and is present because we're disconnected from the reality of the soul. And as the reality of the soul dawns on us more, death will actually be seen as a friend. Death will be seen as an ally. Death will be seen as a natural, 
part of life that no longer needs to be a profoundly feared enemy. And, you know, think about it. Like one of the reasons that people fear death most deeply in themselves is like, well, fuck what happens, what, what happens to me after that. But another reason that people fear deeply, so fear death so deeply is the loss of their loved ones. You know, like, but what if that, what if that wasn't the case? What if actually the gap between this realm and the soul realm was closed and wasn't there in such a way that when my beloved friend Aaron dies, I can still commune with his soul. And actually, I might even know his soul more deeply. Like I might even know who this being is more deeply because that soul has been released from the body and has been able to fully link up with who it is beyond just one incarnation. But I don't lose that connection, even though his body has passed. There is a legitimate grief in terms of I, I would never see his body again. I'd never be able to hug his body again and hang out, sit sat next side to side with his body again. But there's also a, a dimension of this, which is part of the wider passage of life and growth. So death as a friend is a big part of what he's inviting us into here. So... The question, uh, once again, in your small groups, um, what on your mental level of ideas and perspectives, on your emotional level of behavior patterns and relationship patterns, or on your physical level of your body, are you willing to offer up to death in service of the right evolution of soul and love that wants to happen through you? So I'll put you in your groups. Okay, so just a couple more people to rejoin. Okay. So let's just have a closing harvest. How was that? How was that for you? That was very alive and like you mentioned at the beginning the whole ecstatic thing mm. um should mention that more often because <laughs> a part of the dying is that part so mm. um i was just mentioning about how i remember a time where i lived off um where i do the work or go see someone and when i leave that door when that thing finishes i would die to that and then 
open to the next moment. And that was, it was just exhilarating. It's mm. just beautiful. Um, so that's what this kind of reminds me of. Mm. Thank you. Others. Yeah, I would like to share. So what came up for me is a lot around um, emotional attachments and I was actually really surprised how accurate the, the whole process is because I'm literally going to jump on a call where I'm going to bring like a conscious ending to something in like five minutes. So it's kind of like it's it's very alive inside of me already. And I know I have been kind of like dragging those things along when I kind of like I feel it's kind of like already dead, but I'm still trying to hold on to it. So yeah, just a really good reminder to to bring more clarity into that. Show of hands, anybody else feel like they've been dragging around any dead bodies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. Anyone else? Yeah, I would like to share. I'm going through with this uh, COVID thing. I've realized what was, I was really happy with my life. I have to move from my city. I have to go and live um somewhere else um i want to be closer to 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 the earth to to gain that connection i never had and that also relates with death um and to be able to integrate it more fully so in terms of mind and emotions i've i've <laughs> uh, last year i've shattered everything and started anew so i'm not afraid of it and i embrace it but on a physical level i Oh, I clench because I, I have a daughter, a six-year-old daughter, mm. and um, I'm afraid of dying without making her understand um, to support her while I'm here to make her understand um, that she is loved and she's waking mm. up now. Mm. Uh, and she is always loved and all of this that I'm discovering right now. And I've still, uh, I still haven't passed it on to her. So mm. that's my. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. DK actually says, I, I should have said this. He says in this transmission that many of those who die will be, will be souls who have already consented to their death and who are in a certain way already complete at least from the soul perspective, as far as the current incarnation is concerned. And he also says that, you know, and I don't want to avoid any kind of chosen people situation here. Right. But like he, he says that, um, death will not move through in the same way. Those who are in the flow of, of their soul, soul evolution and the soul evolution of the planet. Um, and that's where there's the distinction between the energy bringing death and the energy bringing more life. He actually says for those, for many, there will be a strengthening of their immune systems. He talks about this a few times. He says like there will the vivification, the empowerment part of this energy will bring a strengthening of the human immune system in such a way that um, for many that will be an entirely different, you know, that will liberate them into greater participation with the planetary process. So that's, that's, that's the other side. There's more life and more death. Anyone else? 
Yeah, when I when I tune about or when I tune into what scares me to give into death is that idea that I the the interconnectedness my and my sense of separation mm-hmm. and uh, and linking up to a higher purpose and yeah this sense of like I'm not completely in control. Um, it's pretty, pretty fucking scary. Mm. One more share before we come to close, because I realize we're at time. Going once. Going twice. Closed. Okay, cool. Well, good to be with you all. Thank you for this time. Um, just to just to say, you know, my experience of the ways that my life has been close to death, and death has been in my life. It's a profound. It, it it has a power to deepen the intimacy between people and deepen the love, and um, to make very clear what's most truly important in life in the way that we relate to ourselves and the way we relate to each other. So I can imagine that as death happens in the collective of humanity, there will be a profoundly deeper intimacy that, that also moves through us in a deeper love. And, you know, and there will be more life and more health as well as this power comes. So good to be with you all. And uh, I'll do this again next week, same time next transmission which is about earth as a cosmic shaman different vibe so have a good week much love everyone bye, bye.